Let me begin by asking you a question. I wonder how many of you ever did this when you were a kid. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door and, oh, whoops, it's Saturday. No one's here. So you got to do it this way. Uh, in the, here's the church. This is the steeple. Open the door and there are all the people. Now, there's more of a body. You know, here's the pastor uh, saying his prayers. Uh, and there's more to it than that. So some of you remember that, what the church is. Now, I wonder how many of you also may have grown up and uh, started by learning to sing this song. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. Anybody sing that besides me? No. Oh, good grief. <laughs> okay, my wife and I are that old. <laughs> We've been there, done that. So the question for the day simply is, as we're going into our message, that today is United Wisdom, just what is the church and what's the purpose of the church? We could probably put it this way. Uh, what is Restore, really? And what's Restore supposed to be doing? Well, uh, in the Greek language, the word for church is ekklesia. I'm going to toss out a few Greek words for you today. Ekklesia is a pretty neat word. It just means, very simply, the called out of God. So this morning, here is the church. Here is the ecclesia. Here are the called out by God for a purpose. Now, in the New Testament of our Bible, that word ecclesia is used to designate the church, but it's used in three different ways. Now, the first way is this. It's used to designate all the redeemed that belong to Christ. If you've been redeemed by Christ, you are part of this ecclesia, part of this church. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, God placed all things under his feet and anointed him head over everything in the church. So let me ask you, who's the head of this church? I'm glad you didn't point outward, but you pointed upward. No kidding. Ecclesia is also used to designate a small group of believers. I haven't counted yet today, but my wife probably will. For example, in Romans 16, 5, it says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Some of you came out of a house church to be a part of this church. I mean, every Christ follower, if that's who you are today, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you're part of the church, you're part of the body of Christ, you are Ecclesia. Now, the third way that this word is used is to designate all the believers in a particular city, whether they're gathered in one place to worship or not. Now, when we pray, we want to pray for every church within our community that names the name of Jesus. They're part of a bigger kind of group. Now, for example, if we lived in that age and we received a letter from Paul it might be addressed to the churches in Hollister. we got that epistle in front of us today. And it would be for all of us who believe in the name of Jesus. Now, I've been a pastor for over 35 years, pastoring churches, variety of sizes, different places. And i got to tell you, the church is an absolutely wonderful thing. Yet sometimes it falls into deep weeds. Sometimes it gets off track. It goes off the rails. And that uh, runs into trouble. They find themselves embroiled in the midst of uh, something that threatens to divide her. Maybe some of you have come out of a place like that where you went through a church split. 
people couldn't get along for one reason or the other. Now, we see that today. I don't know if you know how many different denominations there are in the world. I googled this the other day. How many of you think it's more than a thousand denominations? These Christians? These are Christian denominations. Well, the answer is 45,000. You get the general idea we don't really get along very well in some places? I mean, Google, that's what Google, now, if Google is not the gospel. But when I said, how many denominations are there in the world? It said 45,000 denominations in which people have, for one reason or another, become polarized. Each standing in their own camp and sometimes pointing and criticizing at those who stand in another camp. You know, they can't possibly be real Christians because those are Episcopalians. Well, at least they're not crazy like Lutherans. Well, we're not weird like Baptists or Pentecostals. We, we, we do that. We just kind of stand there and point fingers all over the place. And not only is it, is it impossible to work effectively when we're, when we're not pulling in the same direction, it creates confusion for people who really, what they really want to know is how to have a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. And I'll be honest with you, frankly, divisions make us look, I was going to say stupid, I'm just going to use the word silly instead. It makes us really look silly. That's why this coming in a couple of weeks, we have a meeting between, what, four or five of us pastors. One of them is Pastor Mark, one of them is Pastor Barry, and we've got pastors from two other churches that are within driving distance of this place to ask what we can do together as God's church. Now, divisions make us make us look funny. Now, the Corinthians, part of what Ed read to us before, had similar problems. They were divided. Some people said, well, we belong to Paul's church. Other people said, no, Apollos is our pastor. He's the one who preaches the truth. Uh, some people said, well, it was Cephas, who is uh, the apostle Peter. And some, some people didn't really follow anybody particularly. They claimed that they had a special knowledge, a special knowledge that gave them freedom and power. Here's another Greek word for you. They're called Gnostics. They practiced, practiced Gnosticism. You can look that up when you get home. But it prompted them to ridicule, ridicule other people who didn't have the knowledge they had. So what is the church? What is ecclesia to do when it encounters divisive issues? Well, three things. Now, I'm going to share that with you this morning from the text, not hoping that someday we have a division so we can practice this, but so that we know it now so we can avoid this. We don't want to be found stupid or silly in this community. Here's the first one. It needs to focus on the Messiah. Very plain and simple. We focus on Jesus. As Paul begins to talk to this Corinthian church, uh, some of the problems uh, that they were facing, he began by asserting the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I read the text, I have to ask myself, why did he say, or why did he use this phrase, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, simply this, Paul was speaking as an apostle, and by the way, another Greek word for you, apostolos, a, the called one or the sent one by Jesus. And under the leadership of the Spirit and the role given to him by God, Paul spoke with authority. Not his authority, but with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
for example, the allegiance of the church does not uh, lie with me, with the pastor. Even though I have a very unique role, I have a very unique responsibility, and I have a very unique calling on my life that God has assigned me to be here, to be the leader, to be the, quote, pastor. The allegiance of the church also does not lie with a few select members of called Restore, or that we sometimes refer to before as the Grind Guys or the Restore Corps, uh, but with the Lord Jesus Christ at the head of this church. God has just called some people to particular uh, reasons to fulfill his will. Now, in this text, uh, three questions were asked. One, is Christ divided? Question number two, was Paul crucified for you? Three, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, today, I mean, I've had people say, well, who are you baptized? Who who baptized you? Was it Pastor Willie or Pastor Cole? Who cares? (laughs) Now, I understand what they're saying. They just kind of want to know which pastor was because they, they have a special feeling in their hearts. But see, this answer to all of those questions is the same. The answer is no. No. Christ is not somehow divided. We don't divvy him up and give a certain portion to a whole 45,000 different denominations. No, Paul didn't die for us. And no, we are not baptized in the name of Paul. Rather, if you were baptized in the font or whether you were dumped in the tank or you were sprayed with a hose or you put in the river or in an ocean or a lake, whatever, you were not baptized in the name of Barry. You were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, what, what happens when we lose sight of the Savior? I'll suggest to you that one of the answers certainly is we start putting our eyes on other people. That's what happened when Corinth lost sight of the Lord. They began to focus on personalities. Paul, Peter, Cephas, Apollos. They began to focus on the problems that they were having with each other to the point that they began to argue and fuss in their church. Believe it or not, even to the point where they began to sue fellow members. I've heard of churches where that's happened. Boy, God forbid that ever happened here. See, eventually the priority of the Corinthians became what they desired and not what God desired for their community of believers. They began to live according to their fleshly appetites, whatever they, whatever they thought was the right thing to do, rather than being the spiritual people that they were called to be. And this led to all kinds of nonsense, uh, abusing spiritual gifts. I'm going to slide that one aside. We'll talk about that some other day. And they even started messing with communion and, and saying that certain people couldn't come or that certain people didn't do the right thing to get up to communion. And so you see there was this division in the church. This is why in the book of Hebrews, the writer said, we are to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. Boy, isn't that true? There's some sins. <laughs> we might get rid of these things, but they just keep coming back to us. But he said, we are to lay aside that and we are to do what? Look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We are to run the race set before us with patience, following the example set not by Paul, not by Barry, not by Jeff, not by Joel, not by Anthony, not by Ed, not by Chess, but follow the example of Jesus, Jesus, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and who sits at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we, and I'm talking collectively now, we as restore, this group right here, we need to also take that same challenge to heart so that we might also run that same race that's been laid out in front of us, laying beside, laying aside everything that would uh, hinder us in unbelief or apathy or indifference or, you know, whatever. As I prepared this message, I, I, I wrote down on a pad of paper something I was praying about. And, and I'll, be, I'll be open and honest with you. My prayer is that in our race of faithfulness, that we don't get involved in anything that would take our eyes off of the one who is the eminent example of what it means to be faithful, who is not comparable to anyone else, Together we look at his faithfulness, his will, and have his will and his faithfulness be done and not an individual's will or a pastor's will or a committee's will. Jesus is the one we follow. That's how you get over divisions. And among the many names, if you go and read the, the, the Hall of Faith, I guess you would call it the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, I'd say go look at that sometime. No one comes close to the example of Jesus. I don't care whether you were Moses, I don't care whether you were David, or whether you were Abraham, or any number of other prophets, your example is always Jesus. Now, I know that we who are called to be leaders, um, some of you look to us to be examples. Uh, But I am going to let you in on a secret. If you set me up to be your example, I will fail you. At some times. I'm not a perfect person. I'm looking at somebody who recognizes that. (laughs) She knows it, but I know that about her. Any perfect people here today, raise your hand. Good, we're all in the same boat. You're always going to find fault with me. Hopefully not too much. Don't put your eyes on other people because their examples of faithfulness will sometimes let you down as well. But you're never, ever going to find a flaw in Jesus. Never, ever. The truth is, the book of Hebrews tells us very plainly that there will never, ever be another match for Jesus. So always our focus is on the cross. Our focus is on Jesus. We owe no one greater allegiance than we do to him. So we're going to follow the Messiah. Here's the second thing we're going to follow. We're going to focus on the mission. We've got a mission here. Mission impossible sometimes it seems, but it's a mission nonetheless. You see, if their focus was on Jesus, their focus also had to be on the mission that Jesus was talking about. And in Matthew 28, 18 to 19, many of you know this is the Great Commission. I love these passages. It says, Jesus said, go. I'm going to stop for a few words. What did he mean by the word go? Well, he didn't mean stop. He didn't mean plop in the pew. He didn't mean show up and go home and forget what you learned. He said, go. Go. And then he goes, go and make disciples. Disciples. In other words, people that you can pour your life and really pour Jesus into, that you disciple, that you bring into the discipline that God has in mind for his people. And then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That Greek word is ethnoid. Does that sound vaguely familiar to an English word? 
ethnic, ethnicity, not just white folk. I work in prisons, have for over 20 years. Some of my best friends in this world to this day are a different color than I am. I said that one time in the class. I said, well, the one thing is a different color than me. And one of the guys says, Doc, we didn't know that. (laughs) They didn't even recognize me as being different color. Why? Because we were brothers in Christ. We are held together by the chains of Jesus. See, we need to focus on this mission. And it says baptizing. I kind of look forward to the day we baptize somebody. And I don't care how we do it. If we've got a small child, somebody wants to have baby baptism, we'll take them right to this font. If somebody's a little bit bigger, there happens to be a shower in the women's bathroom. We can, we can hose you down in there. We, we, probably out back is a place where we could actually do it. We could take you down to a lake. Let's find a warm lake, not like Tanny Como, but a little bit warmer lake, maybe a pond somewhere. And then it says, in the name of what? It's not in the name of Barry, Jeff, and Joel. (laughs) It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. You want to stay unified, teach people. Disciple people. Show them where this is all to be. And to observe all all I have commanded you. And you're kind of going, oh my gosh, you expect me to do this? And what is he? How does he end the Great Commission? I'll be with you on the journey. I'll be with you on the journey. i got to do one more Great Commission. This is my favorite one. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I love this one. He says, uh, but you will receive power. Dunamis. That's the Greek word for power. Sounds a little bit like the word dynamite, doesn't it? you got dynamite. He's going to give you dynamite. He's going to give you dynamite in your hands when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, when does it come on you? Well, for all of us, it's a little bit different time. I, I truly believe that when, uh, I think his name was Nitz, Pastor Nitz, way back at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Lakewood, Colorado, baptized me. The Holy Spirit came on me. Now, for some of you, it may have been a, bit, a little bit later, a little bit different thing. You may have been on the way to Damascus, <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit came on you, and you just found out about Jesus, all they came really new. And it says, and you will be my witnesses. Isn't that cool? You get to be a witness. You want to know what the Greek word for witness is? Martyr. You're going to be a martyr. Well, hold it. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want to die for Jesus. Well, he said, that's what you're going to be. And then he said, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you're going, uh, I'm not leaving Hollister or Branson area. <laughs> I've never been to these places. But yes, you have. Because Jerusalem is your family. In your neighborhood, Judea. Samaria. Oh, Samaria. Who are the Samaritans? People Jews didn't like. Different color, different attitudes, different problems. Yes, those people. And probably a lot of them are living around us. And then it says to the ends of the earth. Now, as a kid, when I heard that passage, I got... I'm never leaving Seward, Nebraska. (laughs) That's up to some missionary. But I remember how long ago it was when I got off the plane in Johannesburg, South Africa, to teach and preach part of a mission team. A guy greeted me by saying, welcome to the ends of the earth. Literally, the longest transatlantic flight from New York all the way down to Johannesburg, South Africa. I never expected to ever be in Thailand. 
or to be in Russia two times or any number of other places, but that's where God sent me. But God sends you in those same kind of places, but with different names. For some of you, the, the, the longest, hardest journey you might have to make is across the street to your neighbor. Or maybe even closer, somebody who lives in the house with you. That's what he's called us to do. See, our mission then is to know the gospel. It is to preach the gospel. And so, in other words, I'm going to say we are called to gospelize and baptize. Sounds pretty good. Gospelize and baptize. See, our mission is to share the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus according to the scriptures. So we focus on the Messiah. We focus on the mission. And the third, we focus on the message. See, the mission of the church is not to proclaim the latest fad, uh, to look cool, but rather just to preach Christ and him crucified. That's the only message that will ever bring restoration to a broken person. See, Paul may have looked like a complete idiot, you know, uh, by the world for preaching Jesus, but he would have rather been a fool in the eyes of this world and wise in God's sight than to be considered to be a fool by God and wise in the ways of this world. See, this world, I think sometimes, maybe some of you have experienced this, they, they consider us to be foolish. They think we're a little bit crazy. They think we're a little bit odd. Why? You believe the Bible? You believe all of that? I won't put the words I've heard in quotes, but you actually believe that stuff? You actually believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, I got news for a lot of people. I think it's a whole lot better to enter heaven foolish than to go to hell considered wise by this world. And I hope the same is true for you. Now, here's a good question for Restore. Are we going to transform our culture or are we going to allow our culture to transform us? Will we keep our eyes on the Messiah, the mission, and the message? See, in Corinth, the entertainment of the day was to hear an eloquent speaker. Now, I do okay, but I'm not all that eloquent. Oh, sure you are. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to wax eloquent, but somebody said, you're going to wax elephants? Um, that'd probably be more in my line. But see, Paul's call was not to entertain people. He was not there to itch, you know, scratch their itching ears or wow the crowds with his oratorical skills. He was only there to talk about Jesus. See, he didn't want to do anything that would draw attention to him and take away from the message. Now, I'm not going to pick on any people I've seen on television or heard on the radio, but there are some people where all, you might as well put the spotlight on that guy from the time he walks out there and he's dressed in clothes. He's got, he's got shoes that probably could pay for everything I have in my closet. And it all seems to be about me, me, when it's got to be about him. It's got to be about him. And I, I just pray that it never be that we do anything that takes away from the message of the gospel. I mean, it, it, if you ever come here on a Sunday morning and you hear something other than the message of the gospel, then you have a right to be upset. But not to the point of division. There are ways to take care of that. It's called Matthew 18. We can talk about that some other day. And I've also been praying that we, we never proclaim anything else to the lost and dying community in this world than salvation through Jesus Christ and him alone. See, the age in which we live in has a message of its own. And you hear that all the time. You don't have to watch network news and you can hear the message of the day. 
I decided yesterday I will never buy another piece of Adidas after I saw a commercial during a basketball game yesterday. Never again. Parting company with that nonsense. I'm going to draw a line, and the line is going to divide me and Jesus from a whole lot of other stuff. See, they say if you're sincere about what you believe, and I have no doubt that this company is sincere in its beliefs. Well, they say that because they don't think there's anything right or wrong in this world. It's just what you conceive of being right or wrong. See, this nonsense actually has entered into Christian circles. Don't have to look very far. I see it when somebody will, will tell me when I want to share Jesus with them. Well, it doesn't really make much difference what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, you can be sincerely wrong. We can't make up our own mind as to what is going to get us to heaven. So let me ask you a question. It's kind of an important question. Is it important that you are sincere in your beliefs or in what Jesus says is right? That's the question. Is it more important that you are sincere in what you believe or what Jesus says is right. Now the answer. It is important what you believe is right. According to the inspired. And inerrant. Spirit given. Word of God. See the church only has one Messiah. And it ain't me. There's one Messiah. His name is Jesus. The church only has one mission. And that is to win disciples in our world. The church only has one message. It's right there. The message of the cross. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, For I am determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That'd be a good prayer for every pastor to have written somewhere. And I have it written somewhere. I'm reminded of that. See, this is what our community needs. And this is what we need as our missional focus here as Restore, as we push forward and we push outward into this community. This is our calling. We are called not to be condemners. Some of you know how that ends. We are called to be gospelers. So our desire is to do, we're going to say it at the end of the service again today, to do God's work, God's way, and trust in his supply. But for those of you who have known me long enough, I say it a little bit different. This is my motto. They can put this on my tombstone someday. Because my kids asked me one time, Dad, when you die, what do you want on your tombstone? I said sausage and mushrooms. Now, if you came from Wisconsin or Illinois, you know that's the type of pizza they sell up north. And I suddenly realized, if I don't come up with something, my kids are going to put something down on the tombstone. Well, I'm not going to care, but I can just see it. Dad's still crazy after all these years. <laughs> and so I came up with three words for myself and his vision, mission, and passion. And over the years, I've kind of spread that out to say, uh, to see the vision, past, present, and future. I know where I've been, I know where I am, and I know where God wants me to be. And beyond that, to heaven. We need to be able to say that about this church. Where have, we, where, where, where have we been? Where are we now? And where do we hope to be? See the vision. And then to live the mission. To actually live it out. Do it. Take it seriously. 
Talk to people about Jesus. Share people about, about this place. And then feel the passion. Passion. I remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus gave them a probably a two and a half hour Bible study on the way from Jerusalem. Is it didn't our hearts burn in us? I bet if you had a Bible study led by Jesus. So whether you want to say God's work, God's way, God's supplier, whether you want to say vision, mission, passion, friends, that's what we stand for. Now, we're going to express that now as we stand and join in an affirmation of faith to say one more time what it is that we truly believe.